Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. So we are in our final week of our sermon series, The Baseball Gospel. Have you guys enjoyed the series thus far? Have you? Yeah? Okay. Good. Good, good, good. Um, before I start this morning, let's just address the elephant in the room for a second. Because there are a handful of you out there who know me, or if any of you have heard me preach before, you may be thinking to yourself, why is Bobby up here right now talking about baseball? Because I'm pretty sure on several occasions he's mentioned how much he doesn't like sports whatsoever. And you would be right in that assumption. What am I doing up here? Um, you see, when I was a kid, uh, I didn't aspire to be a professional athlete when I was in elementary school. In fact, I wanted to be a stormtrooper from Star Wars. <laughs> I wrote that down in elementary school. What do you want to be when you grow up? Stormtrooper. That's what I wanted to be. Um, and my poor father, right? My poor dad, huge baseball fan, giant Yankee fan. And I did play Little League. I played Little League for several years, but I was the kid out in right field, right? That's where they put the kids that really have no interest in baseball. It might be different now, but when I was growing up, it was right field for you. So I was the kid out there throwing dirt bombs, kicking my glove across the field, not paying attention whatsoever. And in the rare instance when a ball got hit my way, well, I would hear my coach and my dad screaming from the bench, Bobby, ball, and I'd be all lost, not paying attention. Nine times out of ten, it's over my head, bouncing around. I'm fumbling. I throw it short to the infield, and by the time it gets there, right, the kid got a home run off a, off a base hit, right? So that's what we're working with here this morning, people. <laughs> you guys ready? I am your Mariano Rivera for this series. I am the closer, and the only reason I know who that is is because of this song. <laughs> Thank you, Joey. A little round for Joey right there. And for those of you that don't know, that is Enter Sandman by Metallica, which Mariano Rivera would come out to, and that's the only reason I know who he is. So, Needless to say, when Bert um, put this series together, and he came to me with it, and was like, hey, you know, I'm doing a series on baseball, I'd like you to take a Sunday, and I looked at him, and I was like, yeah, I was like, uh, you sure you want me for this one? Maybe, uh, maybe I grabbed the bench, no pun intended, well, pun intended, actually. And uh, he was like, you know what, I, I get where you're coming from, but just take a look. I have a, he had a list of ideas and some things on paper, and I was like, okay, let me, let me see what you got. And on that list, one thing stuck, stuck out to me right away. It just said, the battered bastards of baseball. And I was like, hmm, what's that about? That, that looks like an interesting name. And he's like, oh, you're going to love it. He's like, in the 1970s, Bing Russell, who's Kurt Russell's father, owned a minor league baseball team. And I was like, whoa, whoa, time, time. Kurt, Kurt Russell. He's like, yeah. I'm like, not a baseball player, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, the actor. And he's like, yeah, the actor. I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I think I, think I can work with this one here. Um, 
Everybody in the room familiar with Kurt Russell? Know who Kurt Russell is? Snake Plissken, Jack Burton, Dean Prophet from Overboard, the good one in the 80s, not the garbage remake, right? And if you're a little younger than me, how about the Christmas Chronicles, right? Coolest Santa ever, Kurt Russell. So how many of you are familiar with Bing Russell, his father? Maybe there might be one of you out there. Um, not a very common name. But Bing Russell, he grew up in the 1930s as a kid in St. Petersburg, Florida, which happened to be where the New York Yankees trained in the off-season. And, well, Bing and all the neighborhood kids would gather around the training facility hoping to catch a fly ball that would come over the fence. And there were fights for these balls. Like, the neighborhood kids would wrestle each other and fight over these balls. If you caught it, like, there was no guarantee that it was yours. There was going to be a fight. And one day, Bing catches a fly ball, and he grabs it, and he just takes off. He just runs and runs and runs, and he runs straight to his father's place of business where he happened to work on an airfield. And as he's running to see his dad, his dad is speaking to another gentleman on the airfield. And Bing runs up, and the gentleman looks down at Bing, and he says, kid, if you want baseballs, I'll get you all the baseballs that you want. And that man happened to be Lefty Gomez, a famous pitcher for the New York Yankees in the 1930s. And this moment changed Bing Russell's life forever. Because as a kid, he wound up going on tour with the New York Yankees from game to game to game. And he learned how to play baseball from Lefty Gomez, from Joe DiMaggio, from Lou Gehrig. He learned baseball from these guys. Fast forward eight years later, Bing is a, a young adult and he actually enters professional baseball, and he plays for an independent team. But his career is very quickly ended by a wild pitch right to the head, and it takes him out of baseball where he can't play in any organized fashion ever again. So what does Bing do? Well, he does what anyone else would do. He packs up his entire family and heads to Hollywood to try and be an actor. Sensible, right? And Bing actually finds a lot of success as an actor. Uh, he knew how to ride a horse, so that was helpful because westerns were very, very popular at the time. He did over 800 TV shows, tons of different westerns, and was a regular as the sheriff on Bonanza for 13 years. He worked with Steve McQueen. He worked with Ronald Reagan. He worked with John Wayne. How lucky can one guy get? Right? To spend his childhood, which is every kid's, well, most kids' dreams, <laughs> with, with the New York Yankees, learning from legendary players, and also getting to work with some of the most legendary actors in history. But even though Bing was an actor, he never lost his love for baseball. In fact, baseball was always Bing Russell's first love to the point where Kurt Russell, growing up in his house, there was no pool in the backyard, there was no swing set, 
Their entire backyard was a batting cage. And the living room of their house, they had no living room furniture whatsoever so that the kids could take ground balls in the living room. Serious stuff. Bing Russell wrote a 75-page detailed quiz for fun about baseball. And later on, in his spare time, he would develop a series of instructional videos on baseball starring his young son, Kurt Russell, on how to play the game. And these videos were so dense and so detailed that several major league managers adopted the videos to train their players with. There were things in these videos that even major league ball players didn't know. He was a student of the game and adept. Now, after 13 years on Bonanza, the show gets canceled. And Bing finds himself without a job and decides to retire. Around the same time, in Portland, Oregon, the local minor league team, the Beavers, is relocated to Washington. The major league team that owned the, Be uh, the, the uh, Beavers decided that this town is dead, the attendance was abysmal, we're going to pick the team up and we're going to move it to Washington, stating that baseball, as far as Portland, Oregon was concerned, the city needed a break and a rest. Well, Bing Russell takes his son Kurt and they head down to Portland, Oregon, and they purchase the rights to the only independent minor league baseball team for $500, and they call it the Portland Mavericks. Now, Bing winds up owning the very last and only independent team within the minor leagues, because this point in the 70s, every single minor league team from single A all the way up to triple A was owned by a major league establishment. They were all farm teams. And Bing owns the only independent team, which meant that he was going to need to scout, sign, and pay every single player out of his own pocket. He did not have an overarching organization that funded this minor league team. So Bing decides to have open tryouts which by MLB standards was laughable because anybody with any form of talent was going to be scouted and signed by a minor league team already. But Bing has open tryouts. And 300 guys show up from all over the country to try out for this team. Now, most of them had been rejected at some point by organized baseball. Many of them were much older to be starting a career in baseball, and they were just a bunch of scraggly, rough-looking guys. But Bing, well, he knew how to find the guys who really loved baseball. And he could scout a player like nobody else. And he puts together a team called the Portland Mavericks, which included his son, Kurt Russell, who played on that team not knowing how this is going to go down. And for the first time, the Portland Mavericks enter their very first game. We can roll the clip of that game. So the Portland Mavericks start 
winning. And not only do they start winning, they start sweeping, decimating these major league farm teams, game after game after game. And I know many of you out there, maybe you're starting to think, you're starting to see there's like a, a David and Goliath thing going on here, and there is, there is that. But there's something much deeper at work here in this story that you could, you could almost miss. You see, because it wasn't only that the Mavericks started winning. They started filling out that stadium, packing it out in a way that the minor leagues had never, ever seen. And, to be honest, may never, ever see again. You see, there was something else going on. There was something else drawing crowds to that stadium. And it wasn't just an underdog story. There was that. But what really drew people, what drew them was what's in Kurt Russell's eyes and his smile and his countenance when he's telling that story. And he says, this is going to be magic. Now, I want to play for you one more clip from this documentary. And as you watch this clip, I want you to think about what gets stirred up in you when you witness a group of people doing something they love with a fierce passion for it. What wells up in you when you see something like that? We can roll that next clip, thanks. Now, I know that that's just a clip on a screen, but can you feel what went on there? Can you almost insert yourself to what was going on in that stadium? Because of this fierce love that Bing and the Mavericks had for baseball, man, they brought to life an entire city a city that was done with baseball, they drew people in. When you witness a group of people that have a deep passion and a true love for something, doing what they love, you cannot help but get sucked in by it. I don't even like baseball. But I want to go back to the 70s and I want to sit in a Mavericks game and I want to watch those guys play. I want to be a part of what happened in that stadium. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. Now, knowing the fundamentals of baseball is important, right? If you're going to play baseball, you need to know the rules. You, know, you need to know how to play baseball. But what the Mavericks did in that city and how they drew people Knowing baseball wasn't enough. It had to start with a deep love of the game and a remembrance of the whole reason that these guys got into baseball in the first place, because it was, it was fun. And that's not very different from our faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, and in it he says this. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. In that same letter to the church in Corinth, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, Paul also says this. 
If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. You see, the Mavericks, they remembered something that Major League Baseball had long forgotten. The reason that they played baseball to begin with. By the 1970s, Major League Baseball had officially become a product. It was a product, and that mentality just funneled down to all of the minor leagues and all the farm teams because the sole purpose of farm teams in the 70s was just to develop players, just to develop product to feed up to the major leagues. And those farm teams that were owned by those major league ball clubs, they didn't care much about the teams. They didn't care if they won or lost They certainly didn't care about the city that they were in. And they didn't care if the fans showed up or not. You see, it was extremely rare to find any form of life in a minor league ballpark around that time. And Major League Baseball had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten their reason for doing this. And there's a church in Scripture who had also forgotten their first love. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, this is the Apostle John writing words inspired by God that he told him to write down. And he writes a letter to a church in Ephesus. And it says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have preserved and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Another version of this says you have left your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So what was it? What was the first love that this church in Ephesus had forgotten? Well, in the the book of Ephesians, which is a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, he commends them for the zeal and the passion and the love in which they have for Jesus and for their Savior. And that love stemmed from the fact that Jesus loved them first. And they had a daily remembrance of their former state, remembering every day that before Jesus came, they were dead in their sins. 
They were dead in their transgressions and they were dead in the things that they had done wrong. But then Jesus came on the scene and he sacrificed himself. And because of that sacrifice and because of everything they had been forgiven, there was this joy and there was this zeal and there was this love that spilled out into the wicked culture of Ephesus at the time. And it was amazing. But over time, As time went on, the church, they lost their their focus. But they continued to do good works, and they they continued to have good doctrine and flesh out people who said they were Christians and weren't and endure hardship, and they were commended for all these things. But their love for Jesus had cooled down to just mere religion. There was no life left in it whatsoever. And Jesus calls to them and asks them to turn back and come back to him and remember that love that they first had. Remember the reason that they were doing the things they were doing. Because if we do anything for God without the proper motivation, there's no point in any of it. Now, Maybe you're here this morning and this is uh, your first time in church in a while. Or maybe uh, you've been away from church for a long time and you're listening to this, you're not sure where you fall with all this faith stuff and Jesus talk and and you, you don't know where you are. But I can guarantee you, you know what it's like when the life gets sucked out of something that you love. You've been there in some form, right? Have you ever seen a movie that you've been waiting for based on a, a, a novel that you love or, or a fiction or a story that you love and the movie comes out and it's just complete garbage because whoever produced it or put it together, well, they just wanted to make money. They could care less about the integrity of the story. What about music when it gets too processed and, and too much to become too much of a product where everything is the same? Where, where, where are my 90s people at? Anybody, anybody out there? Like two or three of you? Great. <laughs> but it's the whole reason that, that the Seattle grunge scene took off in the 90s. Because even though the music in the 80s were good, I'm not trying to step on your toes. If you love that music, it was good music, but it became a product. And every band was the same with the big hair and the tight pants and driving Lamborghinis. And a whole generation kicked against it and said, it's not about the music anymore. So it got stripped down and it went back to the music. What about a career that you started and got into because you loved it? What about a business you started off of a passion that you had and now has just become a means of making money? And the whole reason you've gotten into it was just out the window. You know what it's like for the life to be removed from something and something you love being litigated to death. But when you love something and have a passion for something, it's infectious, and it spills over to everyone around you. And this, isn't, this sermon isn't just a love, love, love above all else, right? Good theology, it's important, right? You need to know how to play baseball if you're, you're going to play baseball, but... If your theology isn't led and your discussion with people isn't led 
out of a love and a joy for Jesus and your salvation, well, then it's just going to be lost on people. Bing Russell, he knew everything there was to know about baseball. Everything. More than probably any person could possibly know. He literally wrote the test on it. But the, the magic that happened with those Mavericks never, ever would have happened if it wasn't led by Bing's love of the game and remembering the joy that he found in it. And if we can practice our faith the way that the Mavericks played baseball, I think we'll be doing all right as a church. Amen? And even if you're here this morning, you're like me, and you're not a, a big baseball fan, I hope that you've been able to hear God throughout this series, because I certainly have. And if I can hear God in baseball, you can see God anywhere. <laughs> Amen. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Jesus, Lord, thank you for today, God. Thank you for everybody that has gathered here this morning, Lord. And I can't believe I'm going to say this right now, but thank you, Lord, for baseball, Lord. Thank you that we can see you in everything that is put before us, God. And just to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, Lord, Lord, we don't believe in you just because we, because we see you. We believe in you as we see the sun rises, not because we see it, but because by it we see all things, Lord. Lord, may we always have a deep love for you, God, and may that be the foundation of our faith always and what motivates us to live out our faith. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.